this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and use promo code BALDMOVE30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. Hey, everybody. Another Bald Move Television. Uh, we're back. It's the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron, and uh, joining me... Oh, oh, I get a proper introduction. I'm you Jim. You do. You do. You hey. do. Uh, this is... Because, uh, you know, there's no set... There's no host set host rotation here. I just feel like everybody true, needs yeah. to know what's what. Uh, pretty loosey-goosey. Yeah. Uh, so tonight, or today, this afternoon, we're going to be talking about... We're going to catch up on Rick and Morty, and then we're going to shift into maybe a little bit more serious. I mean, Rick and Morty has been pretty serious of late. Uh, <laughs> the Deuce, the uh, newest uh, Simon uh, Pelicanos uh, mashup, mix-up. Pelicanos? Pro- yeah, he's the same guy that uh, show ran The Wire with him. So huh. okay. We were, I think, four episodes in the Rick and Morty the last time we talked. Since then, there's been three episodes. The Whirly Dirly Conspiracy, a.k.a. the uh, uh, Rick and Jerry Rick episode. And Jerry episode. Uh, rest and or re, re, re-rickation, or Rick-laxation, <laughs> which is uh, Rick and Morty going to a pleasure planet and kind of blowing off steam. And then we had the Rick, Rick, Rick Lantis mix-up slash Tales from the Citadel, where we revisit the evil Morty storyline... And uh, see what's gone on with the Citadel since since Rick essentially just completely fucked it up in the season open for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers for all of this stuff. Um, ahoy. If you want to skip to the deuce, there'll be a time code in the show notes. Uh, Jim. Yeah. What do you think about season three as a whole and this three this this episode, this three stretch episode? Uh, season three has been really good. I'm I. I don't know how people in general feel about the Jerry episode, but that was probably my least favorite of this three episode block. I, I think. think so. Yeah, okay. I, that's that's that that makes sense. Yeah, I think the the other two episodes were a lot more interesting and probably funnier too. Right. I mean, the one thing that the the Whirly Dirly conspiracy had going for it was how you know they talk about how dark this season's going to be, but mm-hmm. man, <laughs> when that little kid killed his little sister, yeah. And she wasn't coming back. Yeah, that that, that was, was a that was a that was a that was a moment. It sure was. Uh, yeah, and I really love the setup there. How you know they've set it up to be sort of this fucked up thing. Like, yeah. oh, kids chasing each other around with real guns, shooting each other for real. But you know, it's okay because they come back. There's an energy field where you can't permanently die. Yeah, that uh, later gets inhibited. Let's mm-hmm. say. Uh, but you know, I don't. I I don't like Jerry as a character. Yeah. They keep trying to find a way to kind of redeem him or make him like not just the, the schmuck of the universe, but I just I just don't like him. And also, I was bummed that they didn't keep the loser gag going. Mm-hmm. Like I was hoping for the wind crying loser one more time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that is important about or would be important about Jerry's character is also kind of wrapped into Morty mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and I feel like that's he's almost redundant mm-hmm. in that way i also i i like the b plot a lot more um of 
Rick's mom or Rick's uh, daughter Beth yeah. trying to you know get into or some Rick level shit without her dad bailing her out and ends up transforming her daughter into a horrible monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought I thought that was pretty good, and I also liked you know speaking of dark uh, Morty given uh, what's his face the Michael Corleone speech about so you made my you made you made my sister cry, uh, and then did you notice that later in the episode? Um, uh, uh, Morty Cronenberg him. Did he? I, I I was wondering what the hell that was. That I, I know he turned on the machine and sort of started pointing it. Near yeah, him, but... when they when they had the after credit scene of the three tech support guys that got released from oh, the fuck. machine. Yeah, see, I forgot to watch that one. Ah, you got man, you're missing <laughs> some some good stuff here. I, I watched the other two. I forgot that. Okay, one. yeah, that you see. Uh, um, uh, Beth, what what's what's um what's Morty's sister's name? Summer, Jesus, Summer, some, some. Yeah. Uh You see Summer's boyfriend just dragging his Cronenberg ass across the bridge as they're talking about their retirement. So nice, yeah. Ethan, Ethan's in bad, bad shape. Um, do you want to talk more about that, or how about we hit to rest and re-rixation? Yeah, sounds good. So that's uh, I, I, I liked a lot about this episode. I like the conceit where you know you're seeing just like an average Rick and Morty adventure that spirals out of control and even like the the performance that Royland put where he's got Rick and and Morty just essentially screaming in the cockpit of Rick's <laughs> UFO for a solid minute about how uh-huh. freaked out they were and, I mean that was Star Wars at the beginning right yeah, yeah they blew yeah. up the Death Star they did the trench run yeah all that yeah and he, Rick was not in control of that situation so they need to, they need the they need to blow off steam and they enter a machine that takes all their toxins out mm-hmm. and leaves them better people but little did they know their toxins actually in kind of like a skin of evil star trek thing are held in this machine and they're not happy about it yeah um this is this is yet more delving into dan Harmon's relationship with therapy right okay that seems about right yeah uh what is the i mean what do you think of this episode what's the what's the message here i, I mean to me it was you know, you need some kind of balance. You know, you can't be, you can't be the Wolf of Wall Street and lead a healthy life. That's it's right. not healthy, right. certainly for other people around you. Um, but you also can't be Morty, right? Mm-hmm. As Morty is, like, without all of his yeah. his, I guess, neuroses and stuff. Right. Like, th- those are what make him him. And I, I feel like it's interesting. I guess what Rick chooses to what Rick views as his weaknesses. Right. Because a lot of the stuff is things that we wouldn't traditionally view, I think, as weaknesses, right. but he would. His emo I mean, I guess emotional entanglements, right? Like yeah, like irrational Rick, Rick became the ultimate like Buddhist. He was not he you know, he had no connection to anything. Yeah. Um and I guess that's the thing. Like I felt like they cheated a little bit because um it's I get it's unhealthy attachments, and he I guess sees all attachments to things unhealthy. Yeah, but I also didn't understand if he's if he rolls that way, then why did he feel personally responsible for the toxic parts of him? You know what I'm saying? Like, why mm-hmm. would he feel pity for that? If if well, maybe I don't know. I, I'm not a Buddhist. I've never really uh, uh, studied their religion, but that's kind of like what they felt like they're going for. That Rick had found Nirvana. Uh-huh. The other thing that really didn't make sense is the Morty character. Um, it seemed like he was pretty rad and he, for some reason, kept getting worse and worse and worse. But then he, at the end, I, I also didn't feel like he was a particular bad person. 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they wanted to go like this American Psycho, Wolf of Wall Street version of Morty, but I didn't see it because there was no dishonesty in anything he was doing. Right. It all comes down to, like, what you know, just culture from cultural osmosis, right, of, right. like, these types of characters. You have yeah. to assume a lot about that Morty yeah. for it to really come across as, hey, he probably shouldn't be this Morty. Right. Because all- you're right. At, on the face of it, like, what they say in this episode alone. Yeah. He doesn't seem like such a terrible guy. Yeah. So, he seems like maybe a little annoying. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't understand why when he went to have, uh, like, dinner with Jessica that he just, like, couldn't fucking chill about it. Like, yeah. Is that and is that some kind of, like, the, the, it's almost like the homage to Wolf of Wall Street American Psycho got in the way of doing something interesting with Morty. Because I just didn't buy mm-hmm. why. I if, if Morty had all of the, to- his particular toxins, like... I guess what I'm saying is, I don't. I didn't buy that as the toxic, untoxic version of Morty. Like, well, it's how he viewed right. himself, right? So, yeah, Morty would view like his his shyness or his like inability to communicate effectively, uh-huh. um, or his you know introverted nature not as being his, on, not his not toxin. approaching the world with honesty about who he is and what he is, right? Yeah. And and not having confidence and stuff. So, I, I see where maybe Morty is coming from. Mm. Where he says, okay, these are my toxins, and now that they're gone, he just turns into this <laughs> just unabashed, I guess, outgoing sort of attention monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just – I it, it's so weird because, like, if I, – I guess I, I bought where they're going with it in the restaurant scene with Jessica. But then when they pivoted later and that you see he does his Wolf of Wall Street speech and then he's got this, you know, relationship with this older woman who uh, – <laughs> who who it's funny because he's like hey i you know I've, I've misrepresented myself and she's like what you're not a 14 year old kid from the midwest yeah i'm like i i don't know like that seems he seemed like a pretty healthy guy that, that's why i say like you have to kind of put some baggage on him assume some yeah. stuff that isn't really in the episode and i i think that's okay right like even the wolf of wall street the wolf of wall street was honest about what he's doing and yeah. like you know kept his word to the people that were close to him, uh, like the Margot Robbies of the world, he would have been, I feel like, an okay guy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it wasn't... E- even the drug use and stuff didn't make him an asshole. The ma- what it made him an asshole is he just, he just used everyone. He, not, yeah. he didn't see any, like, cleared limits. And I don't feel like they did a good job of telling that particular story. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Somewhere in the restaurant scene, I was like, is this is this working? And I guess I, I just sort of accepted it. Yeah. Like I said, the Rick stuff was great. The, and the Morty yeah. stuff was almost beside the point. Because even – it's so funny because when he made the realization that this isn't him and he wanted to go back to being regular Morty, I also didn't kind of buy that. Like, is he doing that because he secretly still loves Jessica? Like, he didn't see the fact that at his best self that he would outgrow Jessica very quickly? Hmm. Could be, um, yeah. but then he went right, running right back and went through that same dynamic. That I guess that's yeah. the other thing is frustrating is that none of these characters seem like they make any real character progression, and maybe they shouldn't because this is a fucking cartoon and it's nuts. <laughs> but uh-huh. on the other hand, I kind of feel like they eventually have to do something or else what? Like even the Simpsons, like Homer Simpson from season one versus season twenty feet to twenty five, huge change in character. Sure, yeah, Rick's got to do something. I feel like they're both a slave to those toxins, right? Yeah. And as much as they want to change and be better, um, better versions of what they view themselves as, mm-hmm. then I guess they can't. 
Right. Um, or at the very least, it's a long struggle. Because the toxic parts of them provide their strength, too. Like In some cases, Rick's yeah. Rick's inadequacy and his anger and his bitterness, like that, that fuels his genius. Sure. And I yeah. think that's that's where the Harmon kind of shines through is that, uh, you know, for the longest time, he clung to a lot of his, like, you know, alcoholism and acting out as, like, well, that's the price I have to pay to have this talent and have this ability. And, uh-huh. and I think he's starting to let go of that, but still... I mean, that that seems like a, a fallacy that you need the darkness. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that because I agree. Like, you, you can use sadness and anger to, like, drive excellence, but it can also turn... Toxic. Yeah, toxic. <laughs> anyway. And at the same time, you know, you need some things that you might view as toxic, like Rick's affection for his grandson, for instance. Right. Um, he needs that to not turn everything around him, literally the entire world, toxic, right? So that's kind of keeping him even. Also, like, the did you know that Moon Tower thing is a real deal? What the hell is it? That's the, like, when, that's the uh, big antenna structure that he uh, chose to put the Toxifier on. Yeah, yeah, Like, sure. they, it is but, casual mention of, like, oh, this is one of the few Moon Towers still left. I guess in the early 20th century, big cities, as a cheaper form of lighting the whole town with individual street lights, they built these giant towers with, like massive spotlights and they called it the moon that a moon tower and it would just cast this harsh what? white light across the entire town weird and there's still a lot of t- there's still a lot of towns that still have them going the shadows i can't oh, even imagine the it, shadows it must look like the most hellish light and that's that's what <laughs> like uh if you read the article on wikipedia that that's the thing like they're just super unflattering yeah, cr- crazy bright lights that were just just never turn off. But you know that's the thing. Like, it must have seemed like the space age back then. Like, oh my god, there's yeah. light at night, and nobody knows. Like, oh, well, this is this is actually terrible. <laughs> right. Um, but that's what that's one of the things I love about Rick and Morty. They just throw in that little historical tidbit. Yeah. Do you want to move into the showpiece, mm-hmm. the Rick Lantis mix up Tales from the Citadel? Yeah, this is clearly the best one of the. H- holy the... sh! I I couldn't believe it was only 22 minutes long. I swore, mm-hmm. like, the first thing I did is looked at the runtime because I thought maybe they did, like, the double episode because it was incredible how much they stuffed in there without fucking up the pacing. Yeah. Yeah, the ground they cover is immense. <laughs> uh, where are they going? Where are they going with the Citadel storyline and the Evil Morty storyline? When did you... I don't know. I I'm I don't remember enough about this show day-to-day to track it. Mm. Like, I, I couldn't tell you what happened in the first episode of the season. You mentioned that there was a, you know, Citadel episode, yeah, but Rick, I don't remember what happened. Rick escaped he, from Galactic Prison by tr- teleporting the Citadel of Rick's inside the Federation prison. Okay. And then, like, you know, things ran amok, and he also assassinated the entire Council of Rick. So it's the one where he could control people's brains or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. De- yeah. He kept on brain hopping. He decapitated the leadership and and left them, I guess, for for dead. And now we kind of see, like, what has happened since then. And there's, you know, they're, they're trying democracy in the Citadel of Rick's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really funny when you see all the different candidates. They had, like, former military general rick uh-huh. they had private sector rick who was just you know a guy who ran a factory and they had like this token morty mm-hmm. that um turns what... out to not be such a token <laughs> yeah did when did you realize that this was the evil morty from do you remember the evil morty i episode? don't remember the evil Morty. okay so no. the evil morty episode was the one where uh the, the first time we meet the council of ricks they drag him in accuse him of killing all these ricks 
and tur- and it turns out that there was this other evil Rick that had f- had formed a psychic shield around himself by having like a thousand Mortys tied on this Epcot Center looking thing, and he was torturing them. Right. And their their anguish and stupidity would shield them from the Council of Ricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out when you know Rick defeated him, uh, the, and the the Council of Ricks investigated that he was like some kind of cybernetically controlled Rick. Hmm. And the last the scene is you see a Morty with like a patch over his eye pull out like some wires from his eyeball and smash this receiver as if the Morty was behind the Rick the whole time. Wow! And okay. they played that you know kind of. And, and that's that they had the same theme music at the end of this, implying that they're the same person. Oh, okay. So very subtle hints about that. Yeah, and there was also in that same episode there was the concept that Rick is the Rickest Rick, mm-hmm. and, which implies that Morty would be the Mortiest Morty because he led the this like you know revolt of all the slave Mortys that this Rick had. Um, but it, now I guess the question is maybe the you know Rick's the C one thirty seven Rick is not the or is is his Morty is not the Mortyest Morty maybe this I mean <laughs> you got a Morty that took over the Council of Ricks that's pretty badass yeah I don't know I'm not following the lore quite as closely as you okay are. so uh, so what did you um, I guess that's where. Uh, I'm kind of amazed because so what did you what did you like about this episode with you strip apart all the like continuity from it. Uh, I, I mean, for me, it was more, it, it, it was more about, I guess, how it relates to sort of our modern day politics. Uh, all right. uh, I thought that, that aspect was, I don't know. Was it interesting? Was it, was it just something that I understood and right. I, I immediately identified with? I'm not sure, but Cause that was the part to me that are really you talking about the, like the training day. Yeah, uh, mon- yeah, yeah. Homage where you've got this grizzled Morty that takes a fresh out of the academy Rick uh, on patrol of Morty Town. Yeah, and the factory Rick, factory oh, worker, assembly line Rick. Oh God! I mean, all that stuff just seemed to be telling a, a modern day story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's some dark. That's uh, some also dark shit. The fact that they have essentially the simple Rick, which is <laughs> you mean tall Morty. <laughs> So, <laughs> not no, I'm not talking not about him. the. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing is like you know a lot of people online were trying to fit together because like there's all this continuity. Like you know, is that the version of Rick that actually tried the microscope that the devil gave him? Oh, Jesus. and the need okay. and the Rickful things that and it made him quote one. unquote retarded. Uh-huh. So now like there's there's like I mean that's that's kind of a cool concept, but uh, I really loved the. The commercials, and as soon as I heard that guy, the the commercial guy's voice, uh-huh. uh, for whatever wafer cracker they're doing, uh-huh. come on the second time, I was like, "Yep, see where this is going." Uh-huh. Very nice. Yeah, that's uh, Je- so Jeff B. Davis is the comptroller in Harmontown, uh-huh. and he does one thing that t- tickles Dan Harmon is he does this Sam Elliott, like he'll just break in this random uh-huh. Sam Elliott pitching whatever. So yeah, I, I the idea that they've got this uh, the this this the simple Rick guy who just he never developed tor- teleportation. He just loves his family, and all other Ricks secretly want to f- uh, the to feel that. Yeah. So they've enslaved him, and they make him relive this moment with Beth over and over again, extract his mental juice, and make a cookie out of it. Uh-huh. And, and and then when he escapes, yeah, uh, they they bring the Rick who helped him escape out of of. You know his sure death, mm-hmm. and they say, "You know what, buddy? You're right. All yeah. this, you're right. Come on outside." And they we're gonna free you. They say we're gonna give you your freedom, 
uh, no questions asked. And then they trank him, and they put him in the machine, and they do a commercial about the taste of freedom. The, yeah. It's uh, it's so good. I Yeah, and it's, it's funny, but it's also super dark. And yeah. it also, like, there's funny things about the whole concept of the Citadel, because you've heard, like, our Rick espouse, like, how lame it is that they've all banded together. Mm-hmm. You know, as these, you know, this terrorists, and they're all roughly the same age. They're all roughly as smart as each other, but they're still even in. So you'd think in a perfect meritocracy, well, yeah, this this would just be a utopia. Yeah, but it's not because there's some ricks that have gotten an economic advantage. They're running mm-hmm. the J- Jerry Daycare Center, or they're hooked up to Simple Rick, and they're selling Simple Rick cookies. And you've got the schmoes that are just working factory jobs, like. I don't that the thing is is like sometimes I wonder if that's like that's actually a workable ecosystem. You know, like how why in the why in the fuck would any rick even if there's a rick that's 0.01% less rick than the rick that we know and love, why would they work at a factory job pulling a lever for right. even a, a 5 minutes before they'd be like fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how that system comes about. Yeah. Uh but but that's the thing. I I feel like they muddy the waters a little bit by having the the concept of a simple Rick, because mm-hmm. then you can say, okay, well, not all Ricks are right. are the same, right? They're across a gradient. Right, and how big of a gradient is it? Uh-huh. Like, are these factory worker Ricks 45% less Rick than Rick? Right, yeah. Like, you just don't know. And I feel like if they had said, okay, all of these Ricks are are Rick within, like, a fault tolerance of .001, like you said, then I would see this as, well... Two things would happen. I, I would start to understand how much, you know, this must bother them mm-hmm. <laughs> to be stuck in that situation. But I would also not believe that they would ever let themselves be stuck right. in that situation. And I also, I guess... Because they could all just get their own portal guns and go to right. the infinite number of universes right. and do their own thing. But there's also other concepts, like they mentioned the fact that there's multiple citadels in this episode. Oh, uh, so, like, there's this, like, unfathomable large number of Ricks, and the fact that they've had this experience as an intergalactic terrorist or being persecuted as one, mm-hmm. and just how tiring it is to run from an infinite number of galactic federations. So they just decide, like, okay, well, this might suck, but it sucks. Like, think think about the Ricks having the experience of, like, the, the rest and re-Rixation ones, where they mm-hmm. had this experience where it's like, Jesus Christ, I don't have control we need to band up, we need to buddy up, we need to team up, we'll be unstoppable. And, like, that idea keeps them going for a set amount of time, but it's it's a tough one. Yeah. And I wonder in the writer's room how they, you know, how do they decide? Like, when someone pitches an idea, it's like, okay, would Rick really do this? Well, would an infinite number of Ricks do it? Like, I mean, it must be a devil of a time trying to figure out what they can get away with and what they can't. Yeah, that's interesting. Um and then on the other end of the scale, you got the Mortys, like, you know, you got the Stand By Me Mortys, you got the Grizzled Cop Morty, and they're all they're all 14-year-old boys. Like, how, what what experience shaped the Grizzled Veteran Cop Morty? Losing his partner, I guess. And then why did Big, why yeah. did Big Morty become Big Morty? Like, uh-huh. you know, like, it's, that's, I think it's the idea that in an infinite number of views, there is a bell curve that's... Sure is is an interesting concept but it's also one that they got to be careful that it doesn't get away from them yeah and i think you know where i where i kind of see what i call the modern day yeah. story um is in that idea of the cyclical cyclical nature of those sorts of things right like 
you know, you have a group that bands together for a very good reason. Right. Um, and they establish a system that makes sense given the threat facing them. Right. Um, and then somewhere along the line, that threat is forgotten. It's something we talk about in, like, Game of Thrones a mm-hmm, lot, right? Mm-hmm. And how does that change people's perception of the system they've set up? Right. And their satisfaction with it, I guess. Right. So I think they're trying to get at that, too. Like, some of the some of the systems we have in place here may have been set up for good reasons, but yeah. how well do they serve us now? Well, and that's the thing. Like, anytime people start talking about making massive changes to, like, the way the United States government is organized, because obviously it's – and you start thinking, like, okay – or play this out in your head. What would happen if you got rid of this? What would happen if you made this a director of democracy instead of rep? It's yeah. it's you end up reinventing the wheel, and I he it seems like that's a concept the writers room like to play with because like in the purge episode, after they threw over their ruling government and Rick takes off, he's like just you know everybody share with each other, and they immediately essentially yeah. try to found some sort of basic economy, uh-huh. and you can tell it's just, it's going to happen again because how do you not? How do you have a system... And and maybe that's a good thing, right? Like, every once in a while, you need to sort of refresh the ideas. Maybe tear down the old system and rebuild a new one because it fits more with what the current society needs. That's the scary thing about revolutions, though, because they tend to be, like, just a violent purge. Like, the French Revolution, American Revolution, like, you know, the the old systems of power very rarely. Like, okay, well, you're right, we fucked things up, here it goes. Uh, and also we see <laughs> a lot of friction and change. You know, that's the other thing is like, uh, you know, we're kind of getting a taste of what it looks like when amateur politicians run a government. Like mm-hmm. that used to be something I used to be big on. Like uh, we should have strict term limits and maybe we should draft politicians instead of having them run for office because like, you know, that 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 solves a corruption angle. Like if the if the lobbyists only have a four year window to get embedded like a tick, it's going to be prohibitively expensive to keep having to invest the money and it's not. Like, oh, I paid a million dollars a senator, and now I own him for 20, 30 years. But my buddy Ian used to debate. It's like, you don't understand the, 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 like being a bureaucrat and a politician and a diplomat is a skill. Mm-hmm. And if you throw those people out every four years, you're going to have fucking chaos and anarchy because they're not going to know how to wield the power of the state. So it's like you solve one problem, but then you cause innumerable others. And maybe a little yeah. bit of, maybe a little bit of corruption is worth it. I'm not saying we can't do better. But sure. the, like the show keeps illustrating the idea of like throwing out the baby at the bathwater or like, you know, the f- idea that Morty's now have the Morty champion, but he's mm-hmm. cynically taken power and is probably going to fuck everybody. Right. <sighs> and, and entertaining. And even if he doesn't fuck everybody, even if he only fucks the Ricks. Right. The Ricks are still getting fucked. That's right. No they don't deserve to be fucked necessarily. Yeah. So like, r- right. Yeah. I mean, Having a Morty in power is really no different than having a Rick in power if they're not, like, entirely benevolent, right? Right. Yeah. And then some of these problems, like, I, it's it's funny because sometimes Rick and Morty is, like, aspirational and sometimes it's, like, pessimistic because, yeah. like, the lesson that you turn – that you learn from this episode is – Apathy is not the answer. Direct action is not the answer. Ignoring things like, you know, Rick and Morty, our Rick and Morty are off having this Atlantean yeah. adventure where they're pounding mermaid poon. <laughs> we never see, which I love. Having a great time. And they're yeah. like, oh, he's, he's like, what do you think would happen if uh, we check out the Citadel? And Rick's like, oh, we'll never, we're, we're never have to worry about those guys again. Like, you can't just, like, go off to Montana on a rabbit farm <laughs> and ignore things, too. Because, right. Then yeah. you get norked. N- n- you get norked. You get nuked by North <laughs> Korea. It's and I have a feeling before the season is out, we're going to see that again. Yeah. Uh, although, I, how many episodes are, is this? Uh, I was just checking on that. I don't. Is it Ten? Um, is it thirteen? We've is got. We got three more. Three so, more. Yeah. 
So hmm. I actually I wonder if they'll book in this thing with. I I don't know because like the Evil Sentinel. Morty episode, f- the the first one came out in season one, so it's been a good long fucking time before we've dealt with this again. In fact, uh, Harmon uh, and Royland were saying that. Because the internet smoked out what they were doing at that plot line, that they're like, you know what, we were going to have this big overarching continuity, but then we decided, fuck all that. Uh, but damn, it seems okay. like they just retooled it, and you know, and it's going to be funny, like if the internet puts together what they're doing their new plan, if they just can you continually yeah, have a why? moving target? Why? Why would you do that to yourself? It's a like, challenge. Like they, they smoke you out. So what? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's I just happen. think. Uh, uh, like I said, I I just think it's this the show kind of tends to be all over the place politically and like it's it's ph- philosophical, but it's still main th- it's still super funny. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't ever consider the show as like trying to answer any real questions. Yeah, it's more just like raising questions about the issues. Why does that? So is that? <laughs> sometimes I think about that too because like well maybe it's important to raise the issues, but then. If you don't have any answers, I guess you get people talking about it. Yeah, you get people to at least think con- yeah. to confront the issues. Yeah, I worry more and more that just, there's just not there's there's no answers to any of this stuff. It's essentially civilization is going to be a long record of people plugging different fingers into different dikes and taking them out and exposing new leaks, and you just do that until yeah. the heat death of the universe. It's possible, but got to keep trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have a super intelligent, benevolent AI to fix it all for us. Um, <laughs> Do you want now? To, to your point, I was looking at the, the next three, uh, the three episode titles. Uh, mm-hmm. This ep- this this weekend is Morty's Mind Blowers. Uh, episode nine is the ABCs of Beth, and then ten is the Rick Churian Morty date, which is a play on the Manchurian oh, Candidate. Maybe, okay. yeah, because we got a couple supervillains out there. We've got Evil Morty. We've got uh, was it Eve, was it Evil Bird Person? Oh or right, Eve, or Dark yeah. or Phoenix Person? That is Phoenix Person, uh, and Tammy. Like, I wonder if they're going to combine to be some kind of triumphant that's going to be a real pain in Rick's ass before mm-hmm. the, the end of the season. Could uh, be. I don't know. That'd be cool. Uh, shall we talk about the deuce? Real quick, before we get to our discussion of the deuce, uh, I wanted to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, HelloFresh. So if you haven't heard of them, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that they say makes cooking more fun so you can enjoy the experience of cooking, not just, you know, the the slop you put on your plate at the end of your poorly prepared meal, uh, they actually make it a lot easier. So all of their their meals come in a a recyclable box. They like to to point that out, which I think we recycle all of our boxes. Um, but they they come like all prepared with the exact amount of ingredients you need. They come with very easy to follow instructions, uh, and they all take about thirty minutes or less to prepare. And that, as someone who does not who did not like to cook essentially because it took too long um, and because I was unprepared and I'd have to go to the store and all that stuff. This is kind of a lifesaver. Yeah, and I recently got to try it because uh, I didn't get the free samples like you did, but I have a friend as a HelloFresh subscriber, and they were leaving for a week and realized they had these – they forgot to pause the service, and they had these things were going to go bad in their fridge, so they gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like cooking and I didn't think I'd get a lot out of it, but I thought it was, it was really cool. And one of the, uh, one of the recipes I actually saved to make again, I know that's one of the hello fresh things. Yeah. They don't repeat recipes. Uh-huh. This recipe's so good. I want to make it again. Yeah. We've actually, the, the first, I think the first meal I was sent is this like chicken and couscous Dijon mushroom mm-hmm. dish mm-hmm. that was like 
amazing. Yeah. Just awesome. And we've kept the recipe, and since then we've made it probably 10, 15 times. Yeah, it's great. This was a, yeah. a, 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 like a Romano cheese-infused meatball, handmade meatballs and spaghetti. Rest. It was, yeah, yeah, it was, it really, like, it's it's hard to go back to the, the shitty Aldi's turkey meatballs <laughs> for spaghetti night now. And it, it does sound like, oh, these are super fancy meals. But like I said, it takes 30 minutes or less to prepare, and it also costs less than $10 a meal. So mm. it's actually a pretty good value for... Um, Really, really healthy food too. I, I, when I was talking with them, I said, "Hey guys, you should probably get, get a registered dietitian on staff who can review each recipe to ensure that it is nutritionally balanced." And they said, "You know what? We're gonna have two. Oof. We're gonna have two fucking dietitians. Hello, just blow you fresh out of water. Yeah. Uh, so right now we're offering uh, via HelloFresh thirty dollars off your first week of deliveries." By visiting HelloFresh.com and entering the promo code BALDMOVE30. BALDMOVE30. How many pounds you're going to gain because this food no, is so delicious? No, you're going to lose those pounds because it's so healthy. Ah, and lose the $30 off the first week, it sounds like. That's right. You'll Not gain $30, That's lose the... 30 pounds. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> so like I said. Your results may vary. HelloFresh.com and enter promo code BALDMOVE30 at checkout. Yeah. What do you think of the deuce, man? Uh... It's a David Simon show. Like, episode one is not... I, I don't feel like episode one is going to blow anybody away. And I don't think episode one of The Wire really blew anybody away. It's really like, you got to get through a season before you judge this show. All the setup's happening. We're getting introduced to characters and how they're living. But it's it's not like there's some big revelation at the end of the, the pilot that, like, sets everything up. It seems like that this has Simon and Pelicanos role and i'm probably butchering pelicanus's name it's totally cool with me yeah the wire it's like yeah i have faith in them all right i i'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and and it was good like what i saw was good it just wasn't like here's a super obvious narrative that we're going for here but they always have like you got mcnulty and he's a well-developed character from the beginning that you kind of hang on to as these dozens of characters they're not even connected swirl around him like uh, show me a hero they had uh, uh, they Isaacs, had old, whatever his uh, name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had him as the mayor candidate or expiring politician, and they had all these other unconnected people swirling around. And now you've got Vinny. Is that his name? I couldn't for the life of me remember it, his name, even though it's the last thing they say. It, it, well, it's crazy, too, because I thought for a while that like maybe the deal was that Vinny had stolen Frankie's ID before he went off to Vietnam and is dead, and he was like putting in all these bets with a dead man. Like he's, uh-huh. he's just like, but then if, uh, when they made it clear, when you know, uh, two of them walked into the same room, I'm like, oh shit, yeah. they're twins, and one of them has a, a wound on his head. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They, they obviously did that to set up, hey, these are two different people, right? Right, um, but I, and they always have some like, and that's the other thing is. I was having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a super fun episode. Like, with all these, like, there's a lot of depressing things. There's drugs. There's prostitution. Yeah. Uh, there's pimping. Um, there's 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 crime violence and indifferent cops. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And then at the very end of the episode, when CC starts carving up one of his one of his working girls, it's like, yeah. oh right, this is why this is why criminal enterprises are. As as much fun as it as it looks to be in the the Barksdale crew, uh, then you're getting strangled in prison, and it's not as much fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I can see. So ostensibly, this is a show about the porn industry, right? Yeah, which did so, not develop in the first episode, right? And that's can... why I say like this is going to be a slow burn. I I see like the pieces they're setting up. Yeah. Like you can see that Vinny's going to 
be like, okay, well, this works, you know, in my local bar, or my, right. my Korean diner or whatever. Right. I'm going to take this and translate it to the screen, and I'm going right. to make more money than I can imagine. Right. And you can uh, see how the women would, like, appreciate that, too. Like, this right, is because here's the only other money. option is right. to go with CC and get your armpits cut out. Right. Like, that's not cool either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can see, like, where Frank, Frankie or whatever his name is, the brother, is going to be a huge problem for that, right? Like, sure. Like, Vinny starts making money, Frankie comes calling, putting in bad bets, and gets them both in trouble. Uh, you can kind of see the pieces in place. And, and I, Abigail, the very intelligence and liberal arts, beautiful NYU student who... But, sleeping but, with the professor. But, but yeah, she, she, she likes the, the power her sexuality gives her, and she, yeah. she likes the kind of like street-level uh, intelligence that Vinny has, and mm-hmm. she's definitely going to be a star. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, you can see where all the pieces are starting to fit together. And I think that's good. Like, I'm... I'm but not then, knocking it for Are that. the pimps going to be the villains because I think they're so, going to yeah. see that like like are the like they're going to be a problem because they have this this like there there's a legitimate industry being born and they want to keep their beaks wet and they're going to use violence and intimidation and drugs to Absolutely. get in there and Vinny's going to be cuz you know, that's that's the other thing they set up with Vinny and his wife who is mm-hmm. from like you know a mafia family is like he doesn't he doesn't want to do that he could he's got he could have been yeah. a made man but he wants to try to fly as straight as he can yeah and i think the the pimps as villains mm-hmm. thing is they set it up really well because at the beginning the very first scene right is right. these two pimps at a bus station trying so to good. trying to essentially catch women in their nets before they even get into new york city right like the like fresh immediately yeah. want to be there for modeling or right whatever. and it's the same clientele that Vinny's going to be looking for here in yeah. uh, a few months or a yeah. few years whenever he gets into it so definitely that was a good scene to set the whole tone of it and it establishes the carrot and the stick is like i i love the speech about nixon being a pimp uh-huh. And yeah. how like the the pimps were getting that at a very instinctual level what he was trying to do. And uh-huh. then you see later on like you know CC he's got his girl and he's using uh you know money and fancy clothes and dresses that's the carrot but then when his and I, I guess I don't understand pimping culture enough. I don't either. <laughs> to understand, like, what the significance of Well, back of her... when I was a pimp, here's how we did right. it. Right, <laughs> yeah, pimping's changed a lot over <laughs> right. the years. Uh, but, you know, like, uh, what is the point of having the bottom girl? Uh-huh. You know, uh, why Why would you, like, is that another level of control? You keep these, like, women in this, these petty jealousies and rivalries so they don't see that you are actually the main cause of all their, their grief? I suppose so, yeah. How how does a person like Maggie Gyllenhaal's candy character, like how does she maintain her independence? Like I have I was, no idea. When like Method Man crept up on her, like I thought he was going to fucking brutalize her just to teach her a lesson. Like yeah. this is why you need me, because a guy like me might roll up and fuck you up. Yeah. But that's the you know, and that's the whole thing about prostitution. There, as long as it's illegal, you're gonna have this pimp situation because mm-hmm. uh it's very hard for women to protect themselves when they're alone. For sure. Yeah. Um I wonder if, because that's a thing, like, uh, I know The Wire changed a lot of people's politics when it comes to the drug war. I wonder if one of the goals is to change hmm. people's politics when it comes to sex work. Because there's so Could much, be. ma- there's massive hypocrisy in the United States about this. Yeah. Like, we even see it with, um, uh, what, what's what's the uh, Republican, Ted Cruz? Did you hear that his <laughs> staffer got caught liking a, a porn link on the official account? And, like, for the first time, a Republican is like, you know what? It's not a big deal. Who cares? Well, the reason people care is because you guys have been fucking 
Yeah. I'm selling this double standard for years, asshole. Right. Don't act like we're the ones obsessed with sex when you guys have been trying to legislate <laughs> bedrooms and pornography and all this other stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what an America looks like with um, legally accepted, taxed, and regulated prostitution. Yeah, I mean, I think th- this show, it, it very much... I had the same vibe as The Wire, which is mm-hmm. it's not about necessarily any one character's story. It's about the issue itself. Like, right. he just wants to tell the story of this particular thing from all sides. And right. I, I I, think that is the best you can do, right? Because right. if you have a hero, you're instinctively going to take the hero's side, whatever yeah. that is. Whereas, you know, like I said in the Rick and Morty stuff, I think it's valuable to raise the questions and show the different perspectives and then you can make a choice you know with your own empathy and right. and experience i guess and they clearly want like Vinny to be the hero or yeah, they're yeah. positioning him but even in this episode they've got him like whatever you feel about his wife when and i like the the scene in the park beneath the beneath the bridge where it's kind of like you know it's not all her fault like, you're very sympathetic to Vinny until then, and then you realize, like, even if it is, he's leaving his two children behind. Right. And yeah. that's a shitty situation. And also, he is a part of this underworld that embraces these pimps, and he's not going to stick his nose in business where it doesn't belong. He's not going to be a crusader. Like, McNulty would have fucked CeCe up when he saw that. But, uh-huh. you know, uh, Mc- number one, McNulty's giant asshole shit, too. Yep. Vinny's not even that good of a hero. No, uh, he's not. I mean... That that's the thing. Like you can see the flaws in all the people. You can see, I, I guess, like the reasons that they're doing the things they're doing, yeah. and, and empathize with those. I wonder why the because I'm with you and Lori, who was played by the woman who plays Amy in the season one leftover. Yeah. She's the teenage friend of Jill when she comes off the bus from Minnesota. Like, I thought this was, well, we're just seeing a shark swallow up a fish whole. But then it turns out that she came to New York to to hook and she was looking yeah for a and i guess protector. she used to hook yeah in minnesota she, wisconsin she, she, she was from. in the farm league and now she's wanting to go pro yeah i wonder why they did that like was that just i, I was reading this interview with david simon and he said that one of the things that they were conscious of is they wanted to make a show about porn but they didn't want they didn't want to be shooting pornography. Okay. Like, so a yeah. lot of stuff when they, and, and, you know, they, they hire a lot of stuff they talk to when they're like doing style guides with the directors is like, look, you know, be aware of the male gaze. This isn't supposed to titillate. Make sure your lighting's bad. You know, this is, this is, <laughs> if you're going to film a sex scene, you got to make sure you see the extras got like, you know, filing their nails and being bored. Cause this is a business. You got to make sure you see the big fat tub of lard's dick. Yeah. And, and I think <laughs> I felt like a lot of, uh, he, you know, they did a lot of things like they got a lot of women in the writer's room. Uh, uh-huh. they got, they hired Michelle McLaren to direct yeah. this pilot episode. She's a producer too, right? She's a producer. Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal's a producer. And it's like, as a producer. Yeah. yeah the, and I feel like that, was one of the points is like they don't want these women to be like these one-dimensional victims they want all these people to be like strong characters and you know uh it's not sexy it's very interesting and it can be fun but it also has got to be it's got to feel real and it can't be yeah and that's the thing that they did so well in the wire right they didn't make the villains just villains right like they made them real people doing villainous things for reasons that made sense. Right. And I felt like that in The Wire, they had, they talked about that they had, between him and his partner that was both a cop and a beat writer in Baltimore, that they had enough stories that they could tell that with a lot of realism without 
getting a lot of stuff outside. But here they're like, we got this story. I guess it's a real life story of these two brothers. Or it's okay. based on a real life story. And, and the start of the porn industry, you want to tell the story, but we just have a really hot story. We don't have the all the angles. We don't know anything about sex work. We don't know anything about pimping. We don't know anything about prostitution. So they hired a lot of people to bring those expertise and make sure that like this this work is going to survive scrutiny from 360 degrees hmm. which i think you know i i thought i thought that's really refreshing like you see david simon who's written all these critically acclaimed things like hey i need help to tell this story at the level that i want to tell it yeah um and you can see it on the screen like at no point that i think any of this shit was unfair or made people like look bad or I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I do have a question though. So, okay. what is what is the what has been spoken about as far as the exact premise of this show? I know it revolves around the porn industry, but clearly, in this show, there's already some kind of porn industry, right? Because if you look at where like the prostitutes are all standing at night, they're kind of underneath these marquees, yeah. which all have names of porn movies. Yeah, but there was also like there is some sign. I I think. When did Deep Throat come out? Because this, supposedly this pilot is set in like 1971, and also so it's like the popularization so of porn. It's yeah, or? because there was also in one of the, uh, the one of the billboards. It's like see, like is it John Waters? I don't know some like famous director that who is he's getting yeah. into the porn industry, and like Deep Throat was like huh, you know this okay. like porn for for the, the the masses kind of thing, and that comes out the year the next year in '72. So like. Mm. It's existing, but I think you're going to see it go from like CD low rent trench coat thing to where it tries to get more glamorous and popular, and you uh-huh. know, and then you know that's the thing—the rise and fall. Like now in the digital age, porn has largely gone back to the gutter thanks to the internet. There's no story, <laughs> there's no costuming; it's sure, just all yeah. gonzo and grinding up women and men, and it's uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe we need a we need a Vinny and a Frankie to come class class it up i just don't i don't know like that's it's kind of interesting like it had i don't this is why i'm kind of interested because i've seen boogie nights um and i've seen that uh documentary with uh, or not documentary but dramatization of uh, linda loveless that uh the girl from uh, shit she's uh one of the mean girls amanda seifert is that her mm, name? Okay. Anyway, sure. she was in that but i don't i don't that's one of the things i've always wondered is like why did they why, like, like the original porn films were just, you know, people having sex on 8mm. Mm-hmm. Why did they decide that they needed a plot? Why did they decide that they needed to make it art? Was it to dodge obscenity? I feel like that's mm, the only reason be. porn went highbrow is because there was a real threat that, like, if you guys don't try to art and class this up, we're going to shut you down. Yeah. And call you obscene, obscene material and just put the hammer on you. Could be. And, like... I don't know. I'm sure this will... When, mostly when did it, accurately reflect that when did and that's what my next question is when did america stop caring about that mm-hmm. uh because it's, shit's crazy it's been, in porn right now i'm gonna say it's been probably about about my lifetime no right like i was at 35 years yeah I, I can remember like you know the star trek parodies and the movie parodies right and the stuff where yeah. you know it's a plumber coming to fix the pipes or it's a pizza guy <laughs> like that that was the beginning of my porn watching career in the, uh-huh. the early to mid 90s to where now like i don't even think you can find that like yeah. where is the the big budget high costume someone actually hired a writer to make porn i don't i don't even know that that exists out there now 
Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. So, like, at some point in the last 20 years, America's decided to, like, yeah, we don't we don't need classy porn. I guess not. Maybe it's because you don't have to go and actually out in public to get it anymore. Yeah. It's like, you just go to your jerkatorium and... <laughs> <laughs> and log in and, and uh-huh. it's just it just sh- shoved down your throat literally or figuratively <laughs> take your pick man <laughs> can we talk about some like standout scenes because yeah uh we talked about the nixon big pimpin uh intro which i thought was awesome uh we talked about Lori's kind of introduction which i thought was awesome i really like maggie gillenhall as candy's seduction of the teenage boy Oh, and yeah. And to talk about how this is a job. Like, that was a real standout scene. It was. Um, I also like her scene where she goes home. Yeah. Uh, back to her. Her. So what is her situation exactly? I she think, takes like a month and she goes and she hooks and makes enough money to. I think she's doing the where she's telling her mom that she's like a businesswoman or sex. She's doing the Peggy Olsen thing. Yeah. Where she's she's telling her mom that she's got this, up, you know, job at a, you know, but she's really. Well, I mean, Peggy never hooked, but you know, it's it's the the metaphor, and it goes to if Peggy Olson had been in a set in, in the seventies ad uh-huh. scene, she might have she might have hooked on the side, <laughs> and she's taking that money and giving it back to her mom. But you can all, I mean, my interpretation of that scene is her mom kind of sees through it, yeah, or has her suspicions. At the very least, yeah, she's not thrilled with the arrangement. Doesn't 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 think that she should you know any kind of mother should be gone from her kids that long. Right. It seemed like it was a month. Yeah. Like she said, here's the money for the month or whatever. Right. And that's the other. So. Con- There's a lot of contrast in this show, too. Like they contrast like Vinny's mother-in-law who's like, look, I'm just here watching the kids. Your wife is out fucking other dudes at pool halls. What do you want from me? Yeah. Versus, you know, this other mother who is clearly disapproving. It looks like she's a little bit more middle class. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. She's out like in maybe upstate New York. Um, and, and I like w- what it sets up for her character, which is the aspirations that yeah. she had. You know, she's got Marilyn Monroe posters all over her wall. Yeah, you can yeah, clearly yeah. see that she wanted to be something more than what she's doing right. currently. Right. She wanted to be a lot more glamorous than she what she is. And I'm imagining she may yet get that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And a certain point of view. The other yeah. thing I thought the standout scene was, was the one woman... Who had the regular customers, the old man who's a cinemaphile, and he just paid her to watch A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, right, yeah. I thought it was interesting because, you know, a plot of Tale of Two Cities is two guys that look similar. Um, one guy takes, like, sacrifices himself to save the better man at the end, and he goes to the guillotine and that guy's stead. Hmm. And this is a show about two identical twins. Yeah. One who's kind of like an aspirational guy and one who's kind of a, a shit. I wonder if... They're going to invert that where Vinny has to take a fall for his brother or mm-hmm. J- uh, Frankie is going to be the one who's like, well, he's going to take the fall for his brother. But, like, you don't you don't throw Tale of Two Cities in the pilot episode with two brothers who look the same and not expect people to think, <laughs> huh. Right. But I thought that was a great scene. Yeah, uh, You know, how much culture has this poor woman been exposed to her whole life? Yeah, and it shows you yet another perspective on – prostitution where this guy isn't really looking for the sex necessarily it's more about the companionship you hear that all the time like i sure yeah i love reading amas from prostitutes on reddit like it's fascinating i can't even imagine yeah i've never read one but oh really sounds fascinating yeah it's sex workers have some of the best amas because you get like this total human slice of existence experience yeah 
you know, the guys that just want to be held and talk versus the guys who just are all business and want to have. And they, they even do some, the, the same the same girl uh, who had this uh, regular customer who like she's going home and like it's she's this this sketchy looking Ron Jeremy guys going behind her yeah and she's and then he you know busts in and slaps her around calls her whore and you think oh this is going to be the perils of street work but then it's all part of the the regular that she was supposed to see right uh, and he gives her twenty dollars because he bruised her up I great that's gonna fix a broken jaw no it's it's weird because it just shows like it constantly asks you to say these people are victims. And then it inverts the expectations, and then you're left at the end kind of thinking, well, what's real and what's not? Like, what is mm-hmm. – I mean, that's the other thing in the David Stein interview I read that he's like, in any kind of fucked up situation, and he's he's done stuff on the, 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 the mean streets of Baltimore. He's done stuff about the Iraq War. He's done stuff about predatory housing arrangements. <laughs> He's like, yeah. in any kind of fucked up social environment, you will always find people finding the humor and the beauty in things. Because that's how they get by. Sure. They're not like, I am a drug dealer and I'm an evil person and my life is a river of shit. Like, they're always trying to find a sunny side. And mm-hmm. he's like, that's where the entertainment value comes. You let people get into that worldview so they can see it. And then the education comes when you when you flip that table over and every once in a while – you know the the sun goes behind the cloud and you can see like oh god oh god this is yeah. this is just this machine of human misery hmm. i'm wondering how they'll do cuz like um it seems like they're positioning porn as an elevated version of what these sex workers are doing right so like where are they going to find the seedy side of that or are they going to leave it at the end of the season with like this is kind of like nouveau hollywood porn kind of thing I don't know. Uh, I guess that remains to be seen. I, I'm, I'm sort of. This first episode didn't like excite me in the way that like a Breaking Bad does, but mm. it definitely makes me want to see more yeah. of this story. You know, I like seeing a lot of the uh, the Wire alums too. Like you had the yeah, Lawrence Gilder Lawrence Jr. Jr. Yeah. as like, is he a dirty cop? A cop? I is he that. just a cop trying to get by? Right. Uh, his partner is uh, seems like a, a, a real. Well, then he's not a piece of shit. He's just a guy trying to get in, I guess. Yeah. Um, but he might be trouble. I liked. Uh, uh, they've got. Um, ah, shit. Chris Partlow, uh, Binga Akinagbi, uh playing mm-hmm. one of the pimps. I thought that is is good to see him again. I'm trying to think who else. The one woman who had the um, the John that was the movie cinemaphile and the guy who liked the rape fantasy, she was one of the standouts from Show Me a Hero. Yeah, I remember her. Uh, so it's 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 interesting to see Simon working with these people again. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I thought it was – I thought it – the other thing is amazing is how they just nail 1970s New York City. Yeah. Like they're filming this in New York, so it's like there's got to be someone with like trash that's spreading trash all around and graffitiing up. And like <laughs> how do they make the train stations look hmm. – yeah, or the parks. The park was, yeah. to me, what was surprising is all these people walking around in 70s garb and just, like, it was a thing. I mean, they must have shut down the park and dressed Yeah, it. and, and the, the costuming, and I was reading the interview with uh, Pelicanos where he, I guess he's, like, a big car guy, and he was like, ah, oh, this, this 72 Camaro's got the horizontal dividing bar and a grill, and this is 71, get that shit out of here. <laughs> And like not that awesome. cat that Cadillac's light squared, it should be round, get it like they like really sweat in the details. And the other thing yeah. that brings me to the other point is a fucking music. 
This had a rock. This had a great, great soundtrack. Yeah, it was really good. From the first scene to playing out over the credits, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm not steeped in '70s funk, mm-hmm. but this fucking series is. Yeah, it has it has like a Jackie Brown vibe to it, right? Yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, yeah, I. I'm glad we get shows like this, you uh-huh. know, not, I, I was thinking about, hmm, okay, HBO versus like AMC, mm-hmm. because the marketing opportunities, like the merchandising and stuff, right. non-existent on a show like yep. this, zero. Yep. Uh, and they've had such a massive success with Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you could see another network that's less concerned with making art, essentially, right. leaning into that and saying, okay, this is what we do now. And the merchandising is going to be huge. We're going to do more series based on these properties with those potentials. Right Here, they're going the other direction. They're just saying, we're going to let an auteur make something that yeah. is just real. Right. And I love it. Yeah, and they... You don't see that from AMC. They leaned into uh, Preacher right. and like all, all these fucking properties that have... Endless merchandising potential, right. and they're all Walking fucking dead. flopping because yeah. that's not what people want. Yeah. Like, they want a little bit of that, but they also want the real honest and, to goodness. And to be fair, HBO is doing both. They're like, they're pursuing they are, yeah. the expanded universe of Game of Thrones, but they're also funding this. But it's right. still like, because it, Simon was talking about how nervous he was. Because they were spinning this up as vinyl was dying on air. Oh, Jesus. And yeah. like, oh, Christ, here's another 70s period piece. And, you know, like the last period piece they did before that Boardwalk Empire, also not exactly a commercial success. Like, uh, that was Showtime, though, right? No, no, those are all both on HBO. And David Boardwalk Simon's talking Empire about, hmm. uh, yeah, Boardwalk and vinyl were both on there. And he's like, you know, that, that HBO is still, at the end of the day, a business. And sometimes that, effect, but I guess this Lombardi guy who was running uh, HBO uh, decided, like, hey, we really like the scripts you wrote. And also, you're David Simon. And you haven't made us a lot of money, but you have done pretty good for us in the Emmy department and for the subscriber department. And they stood beside it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it has yet to be seen whether this will be a success. I haven't read any reviews or like any stats it's pretty well say how much. It's pretty well reviewed so far. Yeah, but how many people are watching it? Like, I don't know. Yeah, um, and unless HBO tells us, we probably we won't. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope it's successful. Um, I hope it gets to run its full course. Are you like going to? Are you, are you going? Are you going to stick with it to the yeah, end? Because I, be I, it definitely sucked me in. I yeah. thought it was. I was not expecting it to be as entertaining as this. Mm-hmm. So if they can continue, I mean, that's that was the secret sauce of the wire. Like, uh, you had to, and I, I guess I can see a lot of people watch going into the Deuce and being like, Jesus Christ, there's so many characters, can't tra- keep track of them all. It's yeah, about, it's about a part of life I don't give a shit about. Uh huh. You know, like I, even if I'm in New York, like New York of today is nothing like New York of the '70s. So, like, what relevance is it? Um, and I guess that's a fair question. But I trust Simon enough that, like, by the end, after everything's over, you'll see the relevance. And also, you'll be fucking entertained if yeah. you pay attention and don't fucking background watch it. Uh, <laughs> right. I wouldn't background watch. No, nah, you it's, just can't. It's the same feeling I had with The Wire, though, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so lost yep. in the first episode of The Wire. Like, I understood, okay, this is trying to tell me a realistic story about these people's lives. But I don't know who's who. I don't know how they're affiliated with each other. I don't understand, you know, the culture or and I don't understand like the area, mm-hmm. like nothing. But 
it sucked me in. Yeah, I think I always find that's kind of pleasurable to be, be able to go inside. It's one of the reasons I like the Patrick O'Brien novel so much. It's like I don't know shit about 18th century sailors, but I feel like after I've read these books, I do. And yeah. I've got a very accurate and insightful depiction of a way of life that doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 neat and it makes you somehow a, a, a better person by going through that voyage. So, yeah. I, again, I have no idea what what point he's trying to make here. But I I did, I don't have I don't even know how many fucking episodes this is. It feels more like a show me hero miniseries. Like this, do you think it's going to be a full? Maybe because I guess I it spans no over several years. This story, so maybe it will be multiple seasons. Yeah, probably. Um, I'll probably have a better handle on that by the time we we touch on this again. But that's that's about all I got to say about it. I think people should check it out, especially yeah. if you're a David Simon fan. And but if you are, I feel like what you, you, <laughs> you already know, right? And you probably watched. That's the other thing is like this thing dropped on on demand like back in the, the August 25th. Mm-hmm. So we're we're already two weeks late on the train. But um, no, great. I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah. All right, before we go, I just want to let you know that we got a lot of stuff going on at Bald Move like we do every week. For club members, uh, there's a Quit Your Pitching that just dropped Wednesday. Uh, it's fresh. It's hot off the oven. Uh, I thought it was pretty fun. I actually listened to it on the way to work today. So uh, not to toot my own horn too much, <laughs> but toot toot. Uh, also, we just got finished watching Mother, the new Darren Aronofsky film with uh, not J- J- Law, Jennifer Lawrence. It's J-Law. And hey, Javier Bardem. Uh-huh. And other people. The guy from Pirates of the Caribbean is probably where you best know him from. <laughs> sure, sure. The <laughs> shitty one that just came out. Yep. Uh, Mother is out. We've got uh, a spoiler-free review for people that are not club members, and we got a spoiler-filled review for people that are club members. Check it out. Seth and I are back on the American Horror Story Cult Train, um, which is interesting this year. Uh, we also, Jim and I, are going through Game of Thrones Season 2 as a retrospective rewatch, trying to fill in that Season 1 through 3 back catalog. Uh, speaking of Game of Thrones, also, we got the pod pack still going for charity. There's 12 days left to participate in that. Uh, pay one, pay, pay a low price to get a bunch. Ten. Ten different bonus podcasters from your favorite podcasters. You got uh, Joanna Robinson and her crew from Storm, Storm, Storm of Spoilers. You got Jay and Jack. We did one on the religion of Westeros and the Doom of Valeria. Uh, it's pretty ch- cool. Check it out. Podpack.baldmove.com. Uh, and what else? I think that's 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 a podcast. Sounds pretty good, yeah. You can send email. At t- uh, feedback's not a huge part of Bald Move TV, but we do have an address for it, tv at baldmove.com. Of course, you can also discuss this stuff on our forums, forums.baldmove.com, and all the social media, slash, dash, at, baldmove. Uh, I don't know. We'll probably be back to talk some more Rick and Morty. We'll probably be back to talk some more Deuce. There's a bunch of other stuff that's hit lately that I'm trying to get my hands on. Cecily and I are working our way through BoJack Horseman Season 4 um, and a bunch of other stuff. Still, I have Twin Peaks hanging over my head. Some people huh. have been bugging me for that. Uh, just too too much TV. Too much yeah. TV. But uh, we're trying to do all the television here at Bald Move TV, and we'll see you next time. I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>